Welcome to Scale Her Up, the female entrepreneur show with me, Brenda Hector. I'm a business growth specialist helping business owners to develop themselves and grow their businesses so they can achieve their goals and enjoy the lifestyle they dream of. I'm also on a mission to revolutionize the entrepreneurial landscape for women in business. In every podcast episode, I interview someone who has an inspiring story or some great advice for women aiming to start or scale their businesses. If you're new to the show, take a moment to subscribe and please check out the previous ones after listening to this. We've got an awesome community on Facebook. Just search for Scale Her Up and join in. I'm delighted to have Gillian Martin from the Scottish Government on the Scale Her Up podcast today. So really excited to have you here, Gillian, and to hear your story and your perspective on the challenges that are facing women business owners. Well, thank you. And thank you for the promotion. I'm, I'm not in the Scottish government, <laughs> sadly. I'm, I'm, in par- I'm in the party of government and I'm an MSP, but that's, it's delightful that you, you promoted me to a ministerial post there. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Sadly, it's not the case. My, my understanding of the terminology is obviously... Yeah. I don't want anyone thinking I'm getting ahead of myself and accepting that, but I'm, I'm the MSP for Aberdeenshire East, and of course I'm in the party of government, I'm in the SNP, uh, so it's, 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 you know, it's, people do sometimes think that you, you can change a lot more than you can, but you still can change quite a lot and influence quite a lot as a backbencher, which is what I am. Okay, no, thank you for clarifying. Um, uh, there we go. Every day is a school day. I've learned the proper, the proper te- terminology as well, so <laughs> thank you. So, yeah, you, you have a history in, as a woman in business yourself. So do you want to just um, give us a bit of an introduction to the, for the listeners to, to your background and your, your business story? Sure. So, so um, my, my background, I've got sort of t- twin areas that I worked in throughout my, my career. Uh, one was in um, television and video production. I also taught television production at, at college. So what I did is I, I was very rel- relatively short amount of time full time at college. I'd worked for a production company and then I moved into to teaching when they were setting up what was called at that point the Multimedia Centre in then Aberdeen College, now North East Scotland College. And then I realised that I kind of wanted to keep on doing production myself and I didn't want to be one of those people that were into education and then all of a sudden you find yourself, you're teaching something that you haven't done for quite a long time yourself, particularly in a practical sense. It's very fast moving technology in television production. So I think I was probably only about two or three months before I went part time and I set up in business. My own production company, which I would obviously run most of the week, and then I'd have a couple of days teaching uh, students as well, which was delightful. And the majority of the things that I did when I had my own business were, as you would expect, in the Northeast, oil and gas related. So I did quite a lot of work with oil and gas companies and oil and gas service companies, particularly around safety um, videos, induction videos, training videos, that kind of thing. So I was offshore quite a lot. But there was another strand to what I I do. I I ended up working with um, um, several people doing a lot of e-learning. Um, so I would be writing courses for oil and gas or anyone who, who want, needed a course, an online course. I would be working with people scripting them. And I also had another strand to my boss, the thing when you're a one, one, one woman band, you just take any work that's coming. But I also worked in emergency media response because I do have a background in media training. 
Um, I did quite a lot of media training, particularly for the large oil companies like Shell and BP uh, for the Aberdeen University. So I was um, I took that experience and I headed up a group of emergency responders who would respond to um, the media um, if anything happened, if anything happened in the platform um, or the many, many training exercises that the oil and gas and oil and gas service companies have to prepare for any kind of eventuality. So I did quite a lot of things and that probably ran my business. I think I started it around about 2001. I think it was 2001. And I ran that as well as teaching up until I was elected. I guess then the, the business had to close for, for you to be able to serve your your constituents and yeah so yeah. I mean I, I I wound down my business probably within a week of being elected obviously I, I let everyone all of my clients know that I was going for an election <laughs> with the caveat of I'll see you in the end of May if I haven't been successful in the election but otherwise it's been great working with you etc etc so you're never closing any doors but everyone I mean I had some 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 clients that I did quite a lot of business with so they were all aware that I was going for elections so I sort of mm-hmm. tapered off my work as it was coming to, to to me and of course you know when you're going for election it's all consuming anyway so I really I think I probably rounded off my my final project as it turned out to be a bit late January that year 2016. There's quite a bit of work in an industry that's not so much known as being gender balanced, shall we say? So, on offshore oil rigs, what what was that like going off going off there as a as a female going into a very a very male dominated environment? I'm genuinely uh, good natured. I think because I wasn't because I was like contracted in, so I would I would have I would always have my my camera operator uh, with me. So I, I used to work with various people who I would I, I was the director. Um, and I would I would go with my my sort of technical team, which tended just to be one one person. So I was really sort of a visitor a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I would maybe spending like a week at a time there. So I think there was a, a genuine respect for the fact that I wasn't I wasn't working in the operation of a platform at all. I was there to do my job, and then I would leave, and I was always I was always treated with with extreme courtesy. But it's still a very male environment. I mean, it was. Um, I really thought that in the the twenty odd years that I'd been doing production uh, in that environment, that I would start to see more women in the kind of operational roles, and time would go past, decades would go past, and you you wouldn't, you would only really see women in the kind of more catering roles offshore or administration from time to time with the odd exception you know you would you would Mm -hmm. see female engineers but it it didn't really seem to ever really turn into a more gender balanced place and obviously it's been five six years since I've been offshore nice to think that it has changed and certainly in in the the onshore area there's a lot more women which you can understand I suppose to a certain extent I mean not everyone has to go and work offshore who's involved in oil and gas but maybe the, the work-life balance aspect of things for, for women in engineering lends them more to having those onshore jobs. And certainly, I, I, I guess it's more difficult for, for a mum, you know, with caring responsibilities. Obviously, fathers get caring responsibilities too, but it is more difficult when, you know, you you, you might have a, a role that takes you offshore and, and you want to have family. That would become really difficult. 
I mean, one of the reasons that I did actually leave my production job to go to college was because I had a young son at the time and I was spending an awful lot of time offshore making videos for them. But, you know, within within six months of leaving that or less than six months, I was back doing it for myself anyway. So I think it actually probably speaks to more of the fact that I wasn't enjoying making money for that company as an employee and spending time away from my son um, when I set up my own company, it certainly was a lot more attractive that I could do it in my terms. Yes. And that I could actually be remunerating myself more appropriately for spending time away from my young son and my, my husband. And you won't be the first person that I've interviewed who tells a similar story that they, they're willing to do more when it's their own business and they, yes. they, they want to have the control themselves rather than someone else being controlled exactly I mean I was able to say well yes I can do that then or no I can't do that then and never having to explain you know I mean it's just a case of like this is my schedule this is my diary yes I can fit you in here and there and no one even even needs to know it's because actually I don't want to work offshore this week because it's my son's birthday or there's things Mm -hmm. happening in the school or I just I want to spend more time at home and you just never apologize never explain but when you work for someone else you have to you can't say and it can't turn things down absolutely I wonder I wonder if that's one of the messages that we need to be getting out there to to women that actually starting your own business gives you much more control of your work-life balance yeah. or harmony yeah yeah I mean I, th- I suppose there's, there's two ways that I mean on the one hand setting up your business can be all-consuming like you find yourself totally immersed in it but it's your decision to do that it takes away the kind of having to sort of work to somebody else's rules type aspect of things but at the same time, setting up a business can be tremendously all-consuming. And you do have to remember that you have to separate your work, particularly if you're working from home, your work from your home life as well as much as possible. And you have to be quite disciplined about that. But I guess, but, you know, it's, it's, it's up to you. to. But that first year when you're setting up, it can feel kind of all-consuming because it's all on you. It's all on you yeah. to get them get the money in to get the business to start up in business so um I suppose there's pitfalls there the thing that's behind it all is it's actually now your decision it's not somebody else's absolutely totally with you however now as a politician you're acting on behalf of other people's other people's wishes I suppose as a as a politician yeah is that but with at the same at the same time you have got space um to campaign on issues that are important to you or that you have experience on or that you know that your particular sections of your constituency that matter to you and them. One of the things that I very quickly got involved in is in in Parliament you have things called cross-party groups and they're basically not the kind of Parliament business but they're kind of like the kind of after Parliament business is over. You can convene groups that bring together people from across Scotland on particular subject areas. And the the cross-party group that I I convene is called Women in Enterprise. And I work with a group called Women's Enterprise Scotland, and we have run this cross-party group, or CPG as they're known, for six years now. So you do have an outlet for, I suppose, your own personal interest in in something, Mm -hmm. Um, but it has to have a link to it. You know, it can't just be, for your own sake. But one of the things I do feel very strongly about is that um, that if we had as many women setting up in business as men every year, 
that the Scottish economy would be tremendously more healthy than it is right now, and that the lives of women would be would be uh, financially an awful lot better. So I campaign along with Women's Enterprise Scotland, and I do this cross-party group every every few months to be looking at some of the, the barriers to making that happen and to be advocating on behalf of women in business to government and to anyone else who will listen to get more assistance and to break down the barriers that are stopping that from happening. And it's been a tremendously set, successful cross-party group. And it's also, again, taking that aspect of what led me into politics, which is the, um, improving the lives of women. I, mean, I want to improve the lives of women and men and everyone in my constituency, of course. But I do feel that economically, women need more opportunities than they perhaps have had in, in the past. So it's called the enterprise gap, isn't it? It's the, the gap in, in, um, between women and men starting and, and scaling businesses. And that that enterprise gap is is larger in Scotland and the UK than it is in a number of other countries around the world. Yes, it is uh, in Europe, yeah. Europe as well. What? Why is that? What? What's the cause of that? Well, I guess there's there's no one single cause, but if I can maybe make a, a comparison with some other like maybe Northern European countries that are doing particularly well in this area. The enterprise gap in Scotland at the moment is worth six, uh, 7.6 billion to the Scottish economy. If we had as many women setting up in business as men every year, there would be an injection uh, to the Scottish economy of 7.6 billion pounds. And that's not just good for women, that's good for everyone because yeah. that's more money going into our, our, our coffers and that's more money you know, that we can use for running our public services. So if I take Norway for a a, a comparator country, obviously Norway, small, independent, northern European country, um, which is in control of all their aspects of their own economy. And what Norway did many years ago is that they decided to invest a great deal of money into providing universal childcare, which was free to every family. And... I remember reading a, a, a very interesting interview with the then Norwegian Prime, Prime Minister, whose name escapes me right now. And it was in an American newspaper and the American journalist asked him, what's the secret of Norway's economic success? And the journalist freely admitted in the, in, in the article that she was expecting him to say oil and gas. Oh, we've got these, these natural resources and we export them and, and you know that's why we're, we've, got, we've got a great pension fund and that's why we've got a great vibrant economy. But he didn't say that. He said the reason why Norway's um, economy is so buoyant is because we have more women working and paying in tax to our exchequer than any other European country because we have given families free childcare. So women don't have this um, decision to make about coming back to work or is it, you know, do I stay at home with, with the child because it's actually less expensive for me than paying childcare costs or do I go back to work and I'm paying childcare and I'm obviously can, almost cancelling out my, 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 my salary. That is still something that has that happens in the, in the UK and happens in Scotland. So you can look at something like that, a social intervention like free childcare, free universal childcare as an expense for the country. And I suppose in Scotland's case, it is an expense for the country because the income tax that 
is released by more women actually having free childcare and going back into the economy it doesn't come all directly to the Scottish and we don't have a treasury it doesn't come to, to, to the Scottish government but in Norway because they're in control of all their finances what might look like a cost of the expense of having free childcare for every single family who uh, have children of a preschool age all the money that goes into the Norwegian exchequer for women now not having to have career breaks um, gets invested back into the country, comes into the, the Norwegian exchequer, pays for the childcare cost that the government is, is taking on. But over and above that, it doesn't just pay for that. It also means that they have got more income tax coming in generally. Um, so it more than pays for it. In the Scottish context, the Scottish government have decided that they can afford to do um, 11, 40 hours free childcare, but that's not universal free childcare because, of course, that still is a cost for us to do that because yeah. we're not seeing that economic benefit wholesale in, in coming back. So well, there will be, I guess, I'm sure there are benefits. In well, there, the, there's huge benefits, know, but, huge benefits, and that's why we're doing it. And there'll be benefits that we'll be able to analyse in the future as to what a difference it's made, not just in terms of what it means for women in the economy, but also the, the, the improvement in the, the, the life chances of children who are, who are getting that early, early years education. I always go back to that story of what the Norwegian Prime Minister said, mm -hmm. because I think until that, that, that point, I mean, there's quite a lot of people I still speak to saying, you know, free childcare, well, that's a massive undertaking for a government to take. You know, why would you do that? It's far too, it would be far too expensive. And then I pull that example out of the hat and say, actually, it's not an expense. It's an investment. Actually, it's, an invest, it's an investment. It's an investment in their children. And it's an investment for, for families, I suppose. Um, but really, the people that benefits the, the most economically are women who don't have to pull themselves out of the workforce or don't have to sort of slim down their business mm -hmm. uh, in order to, to realise the, the family life that they, that they want. So I feel really passionately about these social interventions and looking at them as investments rather than costs because the, the, the benefits that they, they, they can give society as a whole and women in our economy are massive. Yeah, yeah. So... I mean that that that's just one example, really, of of something that 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 can be done. It's not something that that's why I've invited you on the on the podcast, really, because we've been talking about things that us as individuals and business owners can do to make a difference. But yeah. the, the 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 social intervention there, I guess, another option is the the sharing of of uh, leave, uh, paternity or maternity leave, where where that that's equal between between um, the father and the mother. Yeah, so that's I mean obviously that 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 shared parental leave is a parental leave. That's well. the word I was looking for. So but, thank you. But the, but the thing is that the take up of that amongst men is really low, and and I think the re, the, the the take up the take up of it. Um, I, I think I think it's a shame for, for 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 new fathers that they don't feel that they're able to take that and share it equally with their 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 female partners. But I think that they're worried about the things that women have had to face all these years of it looks like I'm not interested in my career. My progression in my career may be stymied as a result of me taking this leave. Now, women have been having to face that forever if they're in the work environment. I, th I think that uh, attitudes 
need to change and I'm not blaming the men that decide not to take it. I'm not I'm not doing that at all because they are subject to the attitudes that employers may have towards that and their and their peers in the workplace. They may want to take that parental leave, but they 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 have fears around how that might look because culturally things haven't changed. But it is quite a, you know it's a, it's a significant intervention that can be made if you should have done it years ago but the uptake in it isn't as good as it, as it can be. One of the things that I wanted to mention as well in terms of women in business is that the unconscious bias still plays a, a, a big part in it. And there's an unconscious bias towards men taking parental leave, their own unconscious bias of like, well, I can't do that. I mean, that's that's my wife's job or oh, that'll look bad if I take six months. How, how you know, I'm up for this promotion. How's that going to look, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also, you know, peer pressure from people going, God, I thought you were interested in your career. What are you taking leave for? You know, all that kind of thing that we've had to face. But there's also unconscious bias in terms of decisions that are made around business support. So women-led businesses traditionally have not been able to access the same level of business support that's come from the likes of Scottish Enterprise or Angel Investors or whatever. So the government has uh, set to to funding of 50 million over the course of this parliament and they have brought in um, a female entrepreneur called Alice Stewart to do a review on business support and those systemic and unconscious bias related barriers that there are for women actually getting the the, the public money and the, the public support the public agency support that they have been lagging behind on when it comes to their male counterparts so there's lots of different areas of this. A lot of it does come down to that unconscious bias and sometimes conscious bias as well. Yes, I, um, I'm, I'm looking for someone to come on the podcast and talk about unconscious bias. So if anyone's listening, I would love to, uh, to approach me and, and have a chat about, about what that is and what we can do to make a change there. You know, as a, as a mother of uh, teenagers, two boys and a girl, trying very hard to to bring them up to think that everyone everyone's equal but there there are obviously still a lot of other influences around their um in their in their lives that that can be can, yeah are showing showing unconscious bias and I'm probably yeah. not I'm probably not aware of all of it because it's unconscious that there are probably things that I I'm saying that is that's perpetuating that as well we all do it so yeah yeah, and, and and I think that, that I mean I imagine there's lots of people that be listening to this who will be able to talk about their experiences of of <clears throat> the bias that they have ex- experienced. But I, I genuinely think I keep on coming back to this thing: if we don't tackle unconscious bias in the decision makers, they don't want to be blocking success. They don't want to be that their job, like for example, Scottish Enterprise, their job is to make Scotland. As economically vibrant, they want to be tapping into the skills and potential of all business operators. But traditionally, it has meant that they they want people who want to upscale really fast. That they want to have people who have got you know ambitions of a turnover of million within you know, millions within a short space of time. But women, a lot of women businesses want to be more sustainable. They don't want to be the kind of like you know fast upscaling and then sell off in an out here type. They want to, the, what's important to quite a lot of women businesses that I've spoken about is about sustainability. 
is about making change, is about employing people and giving them a, a, a career pathway that is sustainable. It's not that, that boom, boom time type attitude. And perhaps some of our business support systems don't recognise the value of sustainability over the rapid upscale. Is it is it that down to the the measure of success being jobs and money? And actually, when some often when women get into business, their their reason for doing it is maybe different. And so their 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 goals are to provide a business that provides employment for themselves or for others who are in a um, in a similar situation or or the social responsibility and. If the measure of success is profit and taxes and and jobs, their businesses don't fit that mould. Yeah, I think yeah. there's an awful lot in that, and I think is it in general as a as a society, you'll see whenever like financial pages of any kind of newspaper will talk about GDP, you know, mm-hmm. over over a well-being economy, over a sustainable economy, over a a stable economy. I think there's everything's about growth, 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 growth. You know, everyone's looking for the the next sky scanner or the next blue dog or the you know the, the but rec- not recognizing the value of having sort of like small to medium sized businesses that are sustainable and work and live in their community and providing maybe even a relatively small amount of jobs but have a big impact on that that community and. Scotland is is a, a country of SMEs. We have more SMEs than, than anything else, but this almost seems to be something that's mentioned in in terms of that's that's a problem. You know, that's a problem. Where are the big guys? Where are the big guys investing? Well, actually, lots and lots and lots of SMEs that are supported to grow at their own pace and are supported to take on modern apprentices are supported to enter new markets at a rate and a pace that they want to and they're comfortable with is is valuable. It's just as valuable as the sky scanners. I mean I keep on coming I mean I've mentioned sky scanner a couple of times. But they're now owned they're not owned Scottish owned anymore. Because yeah. they were tremendously successful very, very quickly and then they get to, taken over I think by a, a Chinese Chinese company so they no longer are a Scottish business but the 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 small to medium enterprises that are you know steady employers that have you know got profit that they're putting into the economy are just as valuable because they're multiple and accumulatively they are powered in Scotland's economy and they, 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 they should be valued in the same way and they should be supported. I mean, I, I, a colleague of mine, a former colleague of mine, often said, we need to get away from this throwing money at people who are already successful. Yes. You know, throwing public money at people who think this sure thing because they've already shown success and be willing to throw some money at some place. Might not upscale hugely, but are sustainable. It shouldn't be a measure of success that we have. We're not competing with Silicon Valley, you know. Mm-hmm. We're not competing with with the sort of like you know the big multinationals. It's nice to have Scottish businesses, of course it is, that are trading worldwide. Of course it is that are 
that are you know got you know billions of of, of turnover. Absolutely, the unicorns, I think they call them. Yeah, but just as valuable to us as the cumulative effect of the sustainable business model that doesn't get snapped up by foreign investors and taken away elsewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. So, is there a change coming in terms of that? In terms of the support of of these smaller businesses? Well, I think there's certainly in the, in the time the time that I have been. Um, in in the parliament and I was used to be in the economy committee this has been mentioned then and also we did some work around like gender pay gap as well and looking at the the benefits economically there was for that kind of more I mean you'll you'll see the the phrase well-being economy being mentioned now by government ministers by people in that that kind of sphere that was never mentioned five years ago, the well-being economy, the sustainable economy. That was not a phrase that I had really heard until the last maybe three, four years. And there is that recognition that GDP and turnover is not the only barometer of success. Um, certainly, Kate Forbes, our finance secretary, is very clear on that. Nicola Sturgeon is very clear on that as well. The fact that Scotland has a lot of SMEs is not a failure on our part at all. No. In fact, it's a strength because you're sort of spreading, spreading your talent through lots and lots of vibrant businesses. And I think the pandemic as well has, has shown as well that, that you know people don't have to be in cities People don't have to be in Glasgow and Edinburgh in order to be successful. Um, you can be setting up, you know, with the, particularly with the rollout of, of more broadband in the rural areas. Uh, and also this this thing of like having, having businesses that have local products and use local ingredients or, or suppliers for that, that provenance around things has, has a, a, a greater respect, I think, and a greater value than it ever did before. So, yeah, I think there is a, a recognition that sort of like GDP is only one measurement and it's not the be-all and end-all. It's good to have a lot of money going into the Scottish economy. Of course it is. But there are other ways of doing that rather than the fast scale-up. I, I would I would add to that that like within a business within an SME within the kind of businesses that I that I work with as a business coach the well-being of the people in the business will help with the generation of the turnover and the profit absolutely you know when you look after the people and these people are are happy and and healthy and and all you know me- mental health and and everything um the work-life balance and all of that, when that's in place for the people who are the most valuable resource in, in, in most businesses, that then feeds the, the turnover and the profit, you know, the, the financial success of the business as well. And it takes away the overheads of having to replace people. So, I mean, you, yes. you've, right, you've rightly said that, you know, people are your greatest asset. And when people decide that they don't want to stay with a company and move on, effectively the investment you've had in that person in terms of chaining them, customers knowing them, having those relationships, the, the, the recruitment costs of, of, of getting someone else and starting that process again, absolutely massive. And 
not been able to identify why that person has left or is leaving until it's too late is a cost to your business. Whereas if you'd had the kind of uh, culture where somebody could say to you, I'll give the, the example, I know it's a long time ago, but I did work for the production company and I left because I didn't feel the work was flexible enough. I didn't feel valued enough. I didn't feel that I, I knew for, I knew for the fact that my male counterparts were earning more money than I was. I, um, I, I, I left after asking for that to be rectified and it wasn't. In fact, I was spoken to in quite a patronizing way and they lost me, you know, they lost me. And although they maybe just thought, well, you know, she was asking for too much, whatever. If they had turned around and said, well, how can we, how can we make you feel more, more valued? What can we do? What can I do with, with your flexible working since you've got a young family? Um, what's the kind of work? Where do you see, if you were to stay here, what would you see yourself doing in like two, three years time? How can we facilitate that? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. I might not have been so worried about the salary. Yes. <laughs> you know, so there was all that stuff saying, well, we re- really value you. And we want to keep you and, you know, we want to make sure that all your talents are used, but in a way that's not going to drive you into the ground. I might not have been sat across my, my manager gurning about the fact that, that I was, wasn't getting paid enough. I probably would have thought, well, I'm not going to get this kind of like deal anywhere else. I, I like working here. I think they respect me. I'll stay. And then they wouldn't have to recruit other people. So it makes perfect sense. If profit and loss is your only motivator as a, as a as an MD, then I think you can make that argument that having that that attention to someone's well-being and having the respect for 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 them and and, and their general happiness within your employee, um, then you could actually put, you could put a figure against that. If that's your Absolutely. only motivator, you can put a figure against that. Because, you know, someone leaves and you have to start from scratch again with someone else. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, if you don't learn from what you did wrong with that other person that left, then the same thing's going to happen with umpteen of your employees. And you're constantly going to have this expensive cycle of recruitment. So what can we do as individuals to help to bring about as the change to the, the gender balance in business ownership, do you think, Julian? Well, I feel very strongly that women helping other women is the way is the way through this um, and that's I mentioned earlier that we do the cross-party group of women in enterprise and what we try to do with that is that in everything that we do we'll have our formal meeting we'll have our presentations we'll have our discussions but one of the things that's very important to me is that is, is the bit afterwards it's the bit afterwards where you're not just sat around the table anymore we're having a cup of tea and a bit of a chat and um, we don't call it networking but that's what it is and that support and that recognition of the fact that, you know, people in that room will know what you're going through and, and will be able to give you advice, but doing it in an informal way. So that women helping other women, having groups like, like Women's Enterprise Scotland, having all these different kind of voices that see the importance of women in enterprise and these supportive networks but not calling them networks because networking is something that sounds like men in a golf course. <laughs> Do you know it does, I mean? doesn't it? Yes. Uh-huh. And I, I have to say that I never in the, however many years of what was it? Gosh, it would have been 15 years of running my own business. I never went to a networking event, never, because these sort of things give me the, the fear and they just make me 
frankly come out in in, in hives uh, the thought of them because it does sound like a male a male dominated thing and it just sounds like a sort of thing that's not my bag but would I have gone along to something which was talking about you know women in enterprise or small business uh, owners you know evening or whatever hearing from females that had had successful businesses or you know, some some less kind of formal sounding would I've gone along to something like that yeah I probably I might have I might have or would have would I have um you know had a, a kind of an informal chat with with other people in in my sort of situation and I think it's easier now that we're more we're used to using things like zoom and whatever you know I would be more likely to sort of like get involved in that and I think it's almost like that soft that soft kind of intervention of and that's how you build up your own contacts and it isn't contacts in terms of people in a kind of really formal way but it's having that person on the end and you know on the end of the phone you're thinking well so I know so and so went to get funding for x I'm going to phone it up and see how she got on I'm going to just have that chat with her I'm going to I'm going to go for lunch with her or I'm going to you know I'll bump into her at something I'll go and gravitate mm-hmm. and have that women supporting other women is absolutely invul- invaluable um and just passing on knowledge advice in that that kind of less formal way is hugely hugely valuable and if you are a woman that's running a business and you're employing people then have a think back as to why you set that business up in the first place and what it was that made you decide not to work for someone else and what you wanted your workplace culture to be like that you didn't like when you were employed by someone else and lead by example in that and advocate for it amongst your your other business-owning colleagues um, and everything that we've talked about today you know, live that by example, but also shout from the rooftops as to why it works. Because it does work. Absolutely. It does work. Yeah. 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 Here we are. Yeah. Well, Gillian, I'm very aware that we have a limited amount of time. I could talk to you all day about these issues, share your experiences. I'd just like to thank you so much for, for being on. I usually ask everyone at the end if there's anything that I should have asked you that I haven't asked or anything that you'd like to add. Gosh, gosh, I, I, I'm not sure, but I, mean, I suppose a good question would be if I wasn't in politics, would I still be running my business? Um, uh-huh. and what would my business look like, I suppose? And I, I think about that quite a lot. And I think about, particularly over the last couple of years during the pandemic, I have I've, I've thought, what situation would I have been in? You know, if I wouldn't have been particularly eligible, maybe for furlough. How would how would I have adapted my business to deal and survive over the pandemic? And I don't really have an answer for that, but it does weigh on me heavily. You know, because I might not have been in the situation of of being elected, and I guess that's something that drives me forward in terms of like working with the women that I do that that own businesses that have had to come through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, put, putting yourself in their shoes and thinking, gosh, I, I could have been in a situation where all of a sudden everything stopped. I wasn't able to get in a helicopter to go offshore. I wasn't able to go into places with my camera operator and film things. You know, how would I have adapted? What would my business look like? So I'm, I'm not even giving you an answer to the question. I suppose I'm just posing the question. That- but, um, it's, it's in my mind. It's always in my mind. I haven't left. 
I haven't left my business head behind. I do think about that sliding doors thing. I think that's that's a real benefit to us as women in business that you with that mindset are where you are, where you you know there's an opportunity to to help to make changes that you're you're looking at this the the pandemic experience from a, your previous experience means that you can look at it from our perspective. So and I think we're we're very lucky to have that. Well, thank you to very have you much. in that role. What, whatever, whatever our politics are, to have um, people like you going from from business to politics and taking that that experience and that voice for yeah, the rest of us. It's important. It's important to me. Um, you know, politicians often can be looked upon as being people that just like you know arrived out of a a closet, fully formed politicians, and that's <laughs> all they ever were. But actually. In in the Scottish Parliament in particular, there's lots of people that have had other lives as well, and I think that makes politics all 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 the richer. I mean, mm. we forget our past experiences at our peril. And that would be a lesson that I would want to tell everyone that your past experiences are are of value wherever you are and and whatever role you're taking, and whether you're a, a, a previously employed, whether a, a mother, you know, everything adds up to what who you are today absolutely that, that, there's no qualification value. there's no qualification for, for getting into politics the only qualification is you know people electing you and uh, nothing that you've ever been through in your life is is, is a waste of your time um so yeah that a wee plug for more women to get into to politics on that basis mm. or but or business the, the, the argument's business. the same isn't and it business. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, Gillian, thank you so much. Really appreciate you being on the, on the Scale Her Up podcast. Thank you very much, Belinda. Thanks for listening to Scale Her Up, the female entrepreneur's show. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And please join our Facebook community at Scale Her Up. Please connect with me, Brenda Hector, on social media and drop me a message to let me know you're enjoying the podcast. Or even better, pop a wee review on iTunes. I'm going to finish by reminding you, Only one in three UK entrepreneurs are female and men are five times more likely to scale their business to over one million in turnover than women. If we started and scaled our businesses to the same extent as men, it would add 250 billion to the UK economy and provide millions of jobs. Ladies, you can do it and we're going to make a massive difference.